welcome to Anchored, a podcast brought to you by The Word Unleashed, the preaching and teaching ministry of Tom Pennington. For more of Tom's content or to connect with us, visit our website at www.thewordunleashed.org. On this episode of Anchored, Tom will discuss the unity and cohesion between all existing manuscripts of the Old and New Testament. Now here's Tom, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Let me, let me show you the essential agreement of the manuscripts we have. Remember, we have 3,000 Hebrew manuscripts. We have 1,500 Septuagint tr- Uh, manuscripts. We have the equivalent of 25,000 manuscripts for the New Testament, plus over a million quotes in the early church fathers. The textual variations are almost always incidental and do not significantly affect the meaning of Scripture. In fact, look at the specifics. When you look at all those manuscripts, take the New Testament, More than 5,700 Greek manuscripts, plus the other supporting documentation we have. About 10,000 places in the New Testament are there variations or variants of any kind. But most of those have to do with spelling, as you just saw. That's why part of the reason I showed you that old English quote. Differences in spelling, that happens over time. Some of you wish there were no Webster's Dictionary. So you could spell it however you want. That's how they used to do it. Thank you very much, Noah. (laughs) But if that's true, if there's no standard, then there are going to be different spellings. The other way that it varies is by a change in word order. Because Greek is unlike English. English is based on word order. Greek, you can put words in whatever order you want because they have endings. It's an inflected language. And so you can put it where you want for emphasis. And so word order can be changed. Now, when you then look at those, once those easily explained variants are removed... 99% of the text of our Bibles can be confirmed as accurate without any reservation whatsoever. And among the 1% of potentially significant variations, not a single doctrine in the historic Orthodox Christian faith is affected by one textual variant. And here's the kicker, and this is what ought to give you encouragement. Modern translations like the NAS and like the ESV that many of you use, those two translations, modern translations in their footnoted versions have put all of the potentially significant variant readings in the marginal notes. If it's something beyond spelling, beyond word order, when you look at your Bible, and you'll sometimes hear me say, look at the note in the margin. That's what they're providing us. That 1% of potentially significant variant readings in those manuscripts, they're giving us all of them in the notes in our Bibles. They're all there. So scholars understand this. The scholars who are working through this process are not working in some smoke-filled room and are hiding things from you. They are giving you 
every significant variation. You look at the text of your Bible and you have it there. Geisler writes, we have 100% of the New Testament and we are sure about 99.5% of it. In other words, it's in the flow of your text. And the other half percent, we may have the, the reading that's the original in the footnote, in the margin. So you can be absolutely confident. Think of it this way, believer. You can be absolutely confident that between the actual text in your English Bible and the marginal footnotes in your English Bible, you have the inspired Scripture. Look at the volume of the manuscript evidence. Look at the closeness of the manuscript evidence to the original writing. Look at the carefulness of the scholars who put it together. Look at the fact that if it's any potential significant variation whatsoever, if it's something beyond spelling and word order, you have it reflected in your English Bible. You can be confident of the Scripture. Now, there are three passages in the New Testament that are debated passages. Three primary debated passages in the New Testament. These are all marked in our modern translations. I just bring them up to you. First of all, Mark 16, 9 to 20. In fact, turn there. I just want you to see this. I don't know how your particular translation will deal with this. But go to Mark 16, verse 9, and if you have the NAS, you'll notice that there is a marginal note at verse 9, and it's bracketed all the way down through the end of verse 20. Look at the marginal note in verse 9. It says, later manuscripts add verses 9 through 20. But they include it. Why do they do that? Because it's probably not authentic. It only appears in manuscripts that show up later in church history. But they can't be absolutely sure, and they don't want to make that decision for you, so they include it in your text. But they note it for you. They tell you, you need to know this as you evaluate the Scripture. The second passage is Mark 7, verses 53 to John, I'm sorry, I said Mark, I meant John. John 7, 53 to John 8, 11. And again, you'll notice the same sort of noting. Look at John 7, verse 53. And again, in the New American Standard, and I'm assuming probably in the version you have, if it has notes at all, it has, a, it has a marginal note, and again, it's bracketed down through verse 11. And the marginal note on verse 53 says, Later manuscripts add the story of the adulterous woman, numbering it as John 7:53 to 8:11. Again, this is a significant variation. They're telling you. They want you to know. They've included it. Now, I will tell you that while the end of Mark is probably not authentic, but maybe, this passage is probably authentic but not likely original in this place in John. Because if you take it out and you read without this in there, it, the text flows reasonably. Much makes much more sense. But again, what I want you to see is there are only three debated passages and you have been given 
you've been given that clearly, that information clearly in your version of the Scripture. The third debated passage, there are only three. The third one is 1 John 5. Turn to 1 John chapter 5 and look at verse 7. For there are three that testify. And then notice the marginal note at the beginning of verse 8. Go over to the marginal note. It says, a few late manuscripts add in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one, and there are three that testify on earth, the Spirit, and so forth. So they're telling you that there are just a few very late manuscripts that contain that verse. I'll just tell you that that passage is only in four Greek manuscripts, and all four of them are dated very, very late. None of the early church fathers quote that passage, and if it had existed, they would have used it in the Trinitarian controversies of the early centuries. It's also absent in all ancient versions. In fact, first time it shows up is when Erasmus didn't include it during the Reformation. The Roman Catholic scholar Erasmus didn't include it in his Greek Testament. He said he couldn't find a single Greek manuscript that had it. Guess what? One showed up. And so he included it under the pressure of the Roman Catholic Church. And so this text clearly was not in the original. Now, here's the point I want you to see. I'm, I'm showing you how we got our Bibles. I'm showing you the confidence we can have. Even the fact that we know that these three passages are the primary disputed passages is in itself a testimony to the reliability of the text that has been passed down to us. There is so little discrepancy. Again, you can be absolutely confident that between the actual text in your Bible and the marginal notes in your English Bible, you have the inspired Scripture. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Anchored Podcast. If you'd like to access additional content from Tom, or if you're interested in partnering with The Word Unleashed, please visit our website at www.thewordunleashed.org and be sure to connect with us on social media. We look forward to studying God's Word together with you on the next episode of Anchored.